Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing Word from God. God bless you. Come in the in your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The title of my message this morning is Awaken Kingdom Truths. And it's kind of a little bit of a play. I didn't put a comma in there. So it could be Awaken Kingdom Truths or it can be Awaken Kingdom Truths. And the reason I, I chose this title is... Uh, because the kingdom of God is invisible. The Bible says, you know, if you set your eyes on that which is seen, that which is seen is temporal, but that which is unseen is eternal. That which is unseen is eternal. So a lot of people say, well, you know, you know, you Christians, you, you have faith in, you know, make-believe things. Or in, but if, if I was standing right now on the edge of a 10-story building and I said, well, I can't see gravity. Gravity, schmavity, I can't see it. And then step off, I'm really going to discover that even though gravity is invisible, it's very tangible. It's very, very real. It's a law. And even though I can't see it, I can see its effect. I can see its effect. I can't see the air, but how many people know that, thank God, there's air? You know, we don't kind of open the door and go, is there air in that room? I can't see. We need oxygen. I can't see electricity, but if I put my fork in the, the power socket... As Pastor Leanne's told me to do a numerous... No, she hasn't. She's never told me that. Probably been tempted to, but uh, how many people know I'm going to feel something? I might not be able to see it, but I can experience it. In the same way, God has laws that are invisible laws. And sadly, Princeton, Yale, Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, darling, don't teach these laws but you're the smartest people in all of San Diego because you come to the house of God where the Word of God gets open. And when we know God's laws, they are laws of lift. They are laws of elevation. They are laws of prosperity. They are laws of blessing. So I want you to come with me. 1 Corinthians 10. This is kind of uh, the context of everything I'm going to preach today. So it says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. I want you to be unaware. So in other words, I want you to, to make available what I'm about to tell you, that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. Now, how many of you know when it says all or all, it means all, okay? How many of you know that? So then it goes on. It says, uh, all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, with most of them, God was not well pleased. So they all drank the same spiritual drink. They all ate the same spiritual food. They were all baptized in the cloud, baptized in the Red Sea. They had opportunity available around them. But with most of them, God was not well pleased for their bodies were scattered throughout the wilderness. There was a whole generation that perished in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. So those foolish preachers that say, you know, the Old Testament, you know, 
don't bother with the Old Testament. It's irrelevant now. You don't need the Old Testament. Paul, who is the architect of the New Testament, is telling you, you might want to pick up and read the Old Testament because these things are our examples to the intent, to the intent, to the intent that we shouldn't lust after evil things as they also lusted and do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell, nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages has come. So I want to give you three points today, three thoughts today, three laws today that we discover as we read the story of the children of Israel going across the promised land. The first one, the first one is gates versus windows. Gates versus windows. As you read your Bible, which we encourage, which we encourage, you'll find that there's the word gates and there's the word windows. Hell has gates. Jesus in Matthew 16, verse 18 and 19 says, I will build my church, same verse, same sentence, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But then we also know in, in Malachi chapter 3, if you've been here for any time, Malachi chapter 3, God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and test me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and pour out such blessing that there's not room enough to contain it. So what we notice is that hell has gates and heaven has windows. Hell has gates and heaven has windows. You are meant to, you are meant to live as a beneficiary of heaven's open windows and you are meant to take down the gates of hell. You and I are meant to advance. When we came to San Diego, it was amazing. All the locals said, oh, and yeah, you can't go there. There's a gate there. Oh, and there's another gate there. Um, you know, you can't go there. Oh, and, and there's, no, there's no zoning for churches. There's another gate there. See, the devil's got a gate there. No zoning for churches in San Diego. Oh, and just so you know that there's very, very few churches. So, you know, there are already people lined up. So get in line. You probably just get used to not having a, a building, you're not going to be able to have, and even if you did, there's another gate here that says San Diego is the fifth most expensive commercial real estate. So even if you could get a zoning, you know, it's very, very expensive. So they were telling me about the gates. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Now he didn't say will not resist. He didn't say, will not vocalize, will not, you know, criticize, will not get vitriolic and nasty and cancel culture, you know, will not try and dox you just because you're trying to start a campus on Coronado. The gates of hell, gates are there to, to block, gates are there to, hell has gates. Jesus saying, when, when you see the devil's gate, don't go, oh, oh, that's the devil's gate. Well, you know, let's be respectful. He's like, don't respect the devil's gates. Are you saying Jesus is authorizing vandalism? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Find the freaking gates of hell and kick them in. 
The, don't let the devil tell you what you can and can't have. Kick in the gates of hell and just remind him, Jesus says, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I want, I want you to see something. Go, go with me to uh, Genesis 22, 17. Genesis 22, 17. In Genesis 22, it says, And it came to pass the Lord tested Abraham. He tested Abraham. The Lord tested Abraham. May I, may I encourage you that, that in this life, you will be tested. You will be tested. God is a test God. I've got good news. All the answers are in the book. So it's easy to pass the test. Unless you don't read the book, then it's going to be a little bit harder. But you're the smartest people because you're here and learning from the book. So you're going to pass every test. So watch this. So you and I are only ever in one of two states. It's a flux. We are either in a test or we're in a trust. We are either in a test where God is testing us. The reason God tests us is so that He can trust us. He tested them with five talents, tested them with two talents, tested them with one talent. His intention was always to trust them, take over 10 cities, trust them, take over four cities. Take a, his, his intention with every test is to promote you into a new level of trust. Once you're in a trust for a season, once God is trusting you with something, get ready because another test is going to come. The test is there because God is, God is checking your heart. He's checking your character. Can He trust you with more? Well done, good and faithful. Well done, good and faithful servant. I will now make you ruler over many. So, so God is testing the trust. So he comes to Abraham and he tests Abraham, saying, Abraham, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of Moriah. So Abraham saddles his donkey early in the next day, goes to the place, and he takes Isaac up and he lays him on the altar. As he's about to slay his son Isaac, God speaks from heaven and says, stop, stop. He says, now I know that you will not withhold from me even your only begotten son. Therefore, have a look at verse 17. Therefore, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. Watch this. And your descendants shall possess thee, shall possess the gates of their enemies. Now I want you to notice something. When Abraham was obedient, it opened heaven. He says, I'm going to blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. Your descendants will be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, and you'll possess the gates of your enemies. Obedience opens heaven. It opens heaven's windows, but obedience also gives us authority over the gates. When, when we came to San Diego, they tried to tell me where the gates were. I hope it's okay, but I ignored where the gates were because I'm not meant to be limited by the gates of hell. The devil ain't telling me what I can and can't have. Well, you can have these people, but you can't have the addicts. Or you can have these people, but you can't have the youth. Or you can have these people, but you can't have the, the Latino culture. Well, you can have these people, but you can't ever go close to the border. You can... No, 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 the, the, the devil doesn't get to tell us what we can and can't have. We are servants of the Most High God. We live under an open heaven and we kick in the gates of hell. Can somebody say amen? 
So our, our job is to, to, to advance and take down the gates. Now come with me in your Bibles, go into the Old Testament, into uh, the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 10, and we're going to read verse 9. And I'd love, we're going to read the, the New King James and the NLT because I just like the little variation in there. So Numbers 10 verse 9 says this, it says, when you go to war in your land, when you go to war, when, when, not if. When you notice it says if. It doesn't say if, it says when. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you. Well, hang on a minute. Whoa, 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 hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down, God, slow down. I thought up till now you're saying, I'm delivering you from Egypt. I will take you out of Pharaoh's grip and I'll take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. You never mention enemies. You never mention anything. When the children of Israel came out of Egypt from under one level of bondage and were going into the promised land, they would dispossess the people in the promised land. They would they would inherit the promises by dispossessing the principalities and powers over the region. It required spiritual warfare. It required spiritual warfare. So he says, when you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound the alarm with the trumpets and you will be remembered before the Lord your God and you will be saved from your enemies. Now have a look at the NLT. Have a look what the NLT says. I love the NLT. The NLT says, when you arrive, upon your arrival, waiting there as a welcome party, ready to greet you in your own land, you're going to go to war against your enemies who attack you. How do I know that we're meant to take Coronado? By the level of attack. Can, you, can I just say to you, oh, you know, the devil's attacking me with my finances. Yeah, because breakthrough's coming. Devil's attacking me with my marriage. Yeah, because breakthrough's coming. Devil's attacking me, breakthrough's coming. Wherever the attack is, you are over the target. You are circling the target. You are right over the target. I preached a message a few weeks ago on Elisha and King Joash, where it's Elisha's literally his last words before he dies. And the king, the Syrian army is coming to wipe out Israel. And the king comes to, to Elisha, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel. And Elisha says, take a bow and some arrows. And he does it. And he says, open the east window, open the east, open the east windows. And he says, shoot an arrow. And he goes, shoots an arrow. And as it flies through the air, Elisha prophesies and says, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria. And then he turns to the king. He says, now take the arrows and strike the ground. And the king took the arrows and went tap, tap, tap. And Elisha says, why did you stop? I didn't say stop. I said strike. Why did you stop? He says, now you will only strike the Syrians three times. What was interesting, what was interesting was Elisha was the prophet. The prophet of God carried the Word of God. The Word of God is the key that unlocks the treasuries of heaven. The Word of God unlocks heaven's vaults. It opens heaven's windows. 
When the king shot the arrow, Elisha released a word over the land of deliverance from Syria. What was God's will? God's will was complete deliverance from Syria. Yeah, well, when I read the Bible, I think Elisha was wrong because they didn't get delivered. They beat them three times and then they regrouped and they beat them. They, they beat the snot out of Israel. Yeah, not because Elisha's word was incorrect. Elisha's word was correct. Can I just tell you, the word of God is correct. The word of God is powerful. It may not be powerful in your life. It's based on your obedience and disobedience. Oh, the Bible's not working in my life. Well, start getting obedient. If you get congruent with the Word of God, it'll work in your life. I remember one time I'm putting a dollar in one of those machines and I'm trying to get a can of soda. And I'm like, what the heck? It took, it took my money. What the heck? Where's my... I pressed the button. What the? And then someone walked past and said, oh, you read the sign? Out of order. I paid the money, but it wasn't working because it was out of, when you're out of order with God's word. King Joash was out of order. A prophetic word was released. Heaven's windows were open. But the apathy, the complacency, he was backslidden, he was immoral, he had no zeal, he had no passion. If he was tired, he didn't bother coming. When your life is congruent, when your life is in alignment, when your life is in order with the Word of God, every promise, every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That's why you got to get in Christ Jesus because in Christ, I don't know why Michael and Katie are always prospering. Look at, look at Marco and Natalie. Look at them. They look like they've just walked off a, off a GQ for the Christianity, don't they? They look like GQ Bible. Look, everything they touch prospers. Rudy and Gladys, same thing, same thing. What about, what about Lindsay? She's traded Jose for Jorge because he's thinner. I feel sorry for Jose. We need to pray for Jose to come back. Lindsay, how could you do that? All those years. Jorge. We kick in gates and we walk under an open heaven. Obedience gives you authority over the gates and obedience opens heaven. Number two. Number two is welfare versus warfare. Now, actually, actually, let me, let me finish point one. Isn't it interesting that Bill Gates, Bill Gates owns the patent on windows. Bill Gates owns the patent on windows. You and I are introduced to Bill Gates as a billionaire. He's the Microsoft billionaire. The Bible doesn't call people billionaires or millionaires or whatever. In the Bible, he is a king. The Bible talks about kings who gather against the Most High and against his anointed. His father was a eugenicist. His father was the uh, general manager of Planned Parenthood. Bill Gates believes that the world is overpopulated, that we need to reduce the population. He carries the same murderous spirit 
as his father. He, he wants to believe that his name Gates, that it's, it's, this, is, this is not by accident. He, he, he is one of the, the, the kings in the earth in our time that, that wants to tell you that you don't, he owns the patent on the heavens. But I'm telling you, he doesn't not only own the, the patents on the heavens, but let me tell you something, Mr. Gates, the church will advance and will kick in the gates of hell. We are advancing the kingdom. We are saving lives. We are saving America. We are saving California. We are saving San Diego. We are saving lost souls. Number two is welfare versus warfare. Welfare versus warfare. Come with me. Go over one one chapter to Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. Numbers chapter 11, verse 4. It says, "Now, Now the mixed multitude who are among them yielded to intense craving." So the children of Israel wept again and says, who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish we ate in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic, but now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its color like the color of bedellium, which, which explains a lot. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's the color of bedellium. What's your favorite color, Pastor Jürgen? Bedellium. What color is that? No clue. No idea. I didn't even know bedellium was a color. Bedellium sounds like if you called somebody that name, you've got to sit in time out. Oh, you bedellium head. Right. You're in time out. You know, it's like bedellium. Anyway, so... So what's interesting, what's interesting is for 40 years, for 40 years they walked through the wilderness and God every day, and then double on Friday because there was none on Shabbat, but every day on Friday He would give double, double manna, double manna. The Bible says it was like, it was like kind of like this sticky bread, it was like kind of coriander, like, like a wafer, and they, they could feed off it. But for 40 years, God never switched it up. God didn't switch it up. It, it wasn't like, you know... One particular year they had salsa flavored. You know, another year they had tres leches flavored, which, which would have been wonderful. It would have been, but they didn't. It was the same, the same manna every year. And the children of Israel are like, man, we're just eating this manna in the wilderness. We miss the leeks, we miss the onions, we miss the fish, we miss the stuff that we had back in Egypt. You, 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 you miss Egypt? You, you forgot about the sting of the whip on your back. You forgot about the change. You forgot about the forced labor. You forgot about the slavery. Are you kidding me? Can I just tell you, your brain is, is wired to operate before the fall. In other words, after the fall, when sin came in, your brain was pre-wired. So what that tells should tell you and I is your brain is not uh, moral, it is amoral. It is not immoral. It is just amoral. It ha- In other words, it has no sense of morality. Has no sense of morality. Your brain operates on that felt good, give me more. Oh, that didn't feel good, give me less. That's why hu- the human proclivity is we move away from pain, but we move towards pleasure. The children of Israel forgot about the pain, they forgot about the sting, they forgot about the whip, they forgot about the shame, they forgot about the oppression, they forgot, all the brain could remember was its craving and its lust for what they had back there. 
the, the devil will often do this because your brain still remembers your sin. It still remembers your old life. It still remembers your pleasures. That's why Moses had to go up onto Mount Sinai where God gave him the law on two tablets of stone. The Bible says that God has written his laws in the tablets of our heart because your heart will tell you, hey, that is what God, God wants there to, to, to be his law present in you so that you can say, brain, the pain of discipleship. The pain of being in a church where I hear the challenge around breaking the spirit of mammon. The, the pain of saying, well, I don't feel like going to emerge, but I know there's a breakthrough there. I know if I go along there, I know. The, the, the pain of saying, we need to do something. We need to go to counseling. The pain of, I need to go to recovery. The pain of, if you will embrace the pain and sometimes resist the pleasure. I love the pleasure of tacos. My gosh, I love the pleasure of enchiladas. I love the pleasure of burritos, especially, I know it's not real. I know that it, they've never heard of them in, in Mexico, but I love the California burrito. Whoever, whoever, that person is gonna be right up there near Christ. Like it may not be right next to him, but I'm telling you, it's probably maybe two or three seats down. Hola, hola, Jesus, like in heaven. Because whoever thought of putting French fries in a burrito? I mean, in heaven, that's a standing ovation. For, well done. And uh, who was it? It was, it was, oh, it was Jose. It was your brother. Jorge's brother, Jose, came up with it. That's brilliant. Anyway, and so, so but here's the thing. I love, all those things give me pleasure. But then when I get to the beach, I'm like, how come I don't have a six pack? was because you like the pleasure of the burrito more than you like the pain. Hola. Don't finish it, Marco. Why did God give manna in the wilderness? Because they were never meant to be comfortable. They were never meant to set camp. They were never meant to be permanent residents of a wilderness. So God fed them in the wilderness with manna and miracles. The Bible says that when they crossed the Jordan and they got into the promised land, at the very, very first harvest, the first time they ate the food of the promised land, the manna ceased. The manna stopped because the manna was only temporary. In the wilderness, you're meant to walk in in the miracles and the manna of heaven until you get to the promised land. The promised land is about blessing. It's about favour and it's about opportunity. In Genesis chapter 8, God says that these things will remain. Seed time and harvest. Seed time, cold and heat, summer and winter. Seed time and while the earth remains, these things will be in place. In the wilderness, there is no seed time and harvest because it's a desert. So God says, so I'm gonna supply manna every day but it doesn't have new flavours. You can get creative with it, but understand this is just temporary. This is just temporary. This is just temporary. You know, Pastor Katie said, you know, before I got saved or before she really understood the Scriptures, she had a just enough mentality. You're not meant to have just enough. That's the wilderness. You're meant to cross into the promised land where sowing and reaping, blessing and favour. In other words, you can produce as much or as little as you like through the the, the sowing and reaping. The more that you sow, the more that you reap. Those who sow sparingly, reap sparingly. But those who sow bountifully, reap bountifully. In other words, you, you can prosper and flourish in the promised land. But so many people have a welfare mentality. A welfare mentality is a mentality that looks back and is a victim of your past. 
God wants you to have a warfare mentality. He wants you to look forward. So have a look at this. Go to Numbers 13. Numbers 13, verse 17, I think it is. Numbers 13, 17. So Moses... Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south, go up to the mountains and see what the land is like. Whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many, whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether they are forests or not. And be of good courage and bring back some of the fruit, bring back some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season for the first white ripe grapes. So they went up and they spied out the land from the wilderness of Zen as far as Rehob and the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south and they came to Hebron and Ahiman, Sheshai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan. Verse 23, then they came to the valley of Eshkol and there they cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and the figs. So here Moses does something very powerful. He sends them across the Jordan to spy out the promised land. He sends them across the Jordan to spy out their future, their inheritance. He says, but when you get to the future, I want you to do something. I want you to bring back the almanac. Excuse me. I want you to bring back from the future. I want you to bring back a sample of the future. We heard a great message this week that, that the sample of your future will become the standard in your life. Right now they're in welfare receiving mana, but God says, I've got to break a welfare mentality. I've got to break a handout mentality. I've got to break a give me, I've got to break a whining, complaining mentality. So you're going to cross over into the, the promised land and you're going to bring back some of the fruit. You're going to bring back a sample. You're going to bring it back a taste. And the taste is going to be the standard that you're going to, this is going to be normal for you. Forget about what was behind you. See, see, you'll have a warfare mentality when you have a vision of what God has for you. The reason the devil doesn't want you to have a vision. The reason the devil doesn't want us to preach prosperity and blessing. The reason the devil wants you to be to believe that you're meant to be a past Christian. Poor, ugly, sick and stupid. You're not meant to be that. You're meant to be prosperous. You're meant to be flourishing. You're meant to be the head and not the tail. Above only, not beneath. Blessed in the city. Blessed in the country. Blessed going in. Blessed going out. You are meant to flourish. You are meant to increase. So, uh, But until you get a vision until you see that you won't warfare, you'll welfare. God wants to transform you and I from welfare Christians to warfare Christians. We understand that when we cross over, the armour of God is not fashion. The armour of God is, is, you know, Paul didn't write the armour. He wasn't like writing going, you know, Luke, Mark, I've run out of things to write about. Why don't you, you haven't written anything about fashion. Brilliant, brilliant. Put on the helmet of... I mean, there's no, there's no, ladies and gentlemen, at this year's South Bay fashion, Ito will be muddling the fashion of the kingdom. Look at him muddling the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Ito. <laughs> Do 
taking up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. Man, he look at he's, he's so well dressed. Fashion. Fashion is danger. Fashion. You think you know fashion? Fashion's a stranger. Anyway, um, I want you to notice though, shield of faith, sword of the spirit. I want you to notice, no back. No back, all you see is Calvin Klein. There's no back on the armor of God because you're never meant to be in retreat. You're always meant to be advancing. Always, that's why Pastor Mike Jaeger will say, man, every year my life gets better and better. Yeah, because he's fully dressed in the armor of God. You put on the armor because you're meant to dispossess the devils. You're meant to dispossess the demons. You're meant to dispossess the principalities and powers screaming, please don't take Coronado. Coronado means crown. It's the authority that the devil hid his crown in the sleepy little part of San Diego, thinking we're going to be so awestruck and lost by the high-rise buildings and the harbour that we won't think that he put his crown on this little peninsula because that That's why he's screaming, because when we take his crown, we have authority over the city. So that's why the fight is happening. But guess what? He don't determine we're taking the crown, we're taking Coronado, we're taking the gates, we're put on the... Come on, somebody, give God a great praise right now if you're a warfare rather than a welfare Christian. Welfare is about comfort to survive. Warfare is about a conviction to thrive. Somebody say amen. All right, last one, number three, is prodigal verse purpose. Prodigal verse purpose. If we can put uh, one, one of my favorite movies of all time, if we can just throw the, the picture up on the screen. This is the movie, The Bucket List. The Bucket List. Jack Nicholson, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman plays uh, the, the role of a mechanic. Uh, he's uh, been married 45 years to the same woman. His name's Carter Thomas. He's a, he's a mechanic, but he's in hospital undergoing some tests and the tests don't look good. Jack Nicholson is uh, like a Wall Street billionaire mogul. Uh, he's, his name's Edward Cole in the, in the movie. And he's also in the same hospital undergoing the same test. They end up in the same ward and they're, giving, they're literally given the same uh, diagnosis, the same prognosis. They've both got one year left to live, one year left to live. Even though he's a billionaire, his billions of dollars can't buy him another year, can't buy him another year. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes that as it goes for the rich, so it goes with the poor. We all have an appointment with death. And it, it, it's, it, it's not how much we have left when we get to the finish line, it's what we do with what God gave us. And if you remember the movie, he really, Ed, Ed, uh, Edward Cole doesn't want to be with Morgan Freeman because he's a billionaire. Why is he sharing with this blue-collar guy? And then finally, through a PR thing, he has to stay there and there's a crumpled piece of paper and he sees the crumpled piece of paper and he says to Morgan Freeman, what's that? And he says, oh, you know, it doesn't... He says, no, no, well, what is it? He says, well, it was my bucket list. He says, your bucket list? What do you mean your bucket list? He says, well, you know, it was a list of things that I wanted to do before, before I died. He says, can, can I have a look at it? Yeah, sure. So he picks it up and he reads it. And on his bucket list was, you know, to jump out of a plane, kiss the most beautiful woman in the world, which obviously if he kissed Leanna, punch him in the face. <laughs> so he'd have to settle for the second most beautiful. Um, swim with sharks, like, you know, climb the highest mountain. Like there was, there was all these things that he wanted to do. 
And then all of a sudden, everything shifts in the movie. Because Morgan Freeman has got one year left to live and he doesn't have the means to do it. But Ed Cole goes, hang on, hang on, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm a, I've got billions sitting in the... And so let's go on. So they check themselves out of the hospital and they start living the dream. They start checking off all the things. And the movie's brilliant because they're laughing together, they're crying together, and they become BFFs. They become best friends. They actually extend, extend their lives because of the, the joy. They live longer than a year. And I won't spoil the end. He had all this money just sitting there, but all the money was about him. Morgan Freeman in, in the movie says, you value yourself by those who value themselves against you. In other words, you live this very, very shallow life where you love being a billionaire and you look down on people. There's a Chinese proverb that says, man who is wrapped up in himself make very small package. Man wrapped up in himself. Oh, he make very small package. You don't want to be wrapped up in yourself. Prodigal versus purpose. The prodigal son says to his father, give me my inheritance. And the father's like, you know I'm still alive, right? He says, not to me as far as I'm concerned. You, your values is dead to me. So the father being benevolent divides the estate and gives his son Bible says his son goes to Vegas where he spends it on prodigal living, on wasteful living, getting wasted. But soon a famine arises in the land and he has to, got no more money, he's run out of money, he's run out of friends to party with, no one gives him any food, so he ends up hiring himself out to a, a, a local of the land who sends him into the field to feed swine. The Bible says as he's feeding the swine, he would often like look at the pig slop and want to eat the pig slop, but nobody gave him anything. And then the Bible says, and he came to himself and he thought, my God, how many of my father's hired servants in my father's house have bread enough and to spare? And here I am perishing with hunger. It's interesting, isn't it? If you live by consumption, your world gets smaller. If you live by conviction, your world gets larger. The father was generous and benevolent and the famine hits the land, but the father's house is prospering. Father's house has sustained it. But this man who lived to consume, to get, is struggling in. The reason the devil doesn't want you to prosper is because there are so many prodigals that come back to the house when they see the prosperity in the house. He says, in my father's house, even the hired servants have bread. And then he says this, and this is the crux. He says, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I'll get down on my knees and I'll say to him, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me, make me like one of your hired servants. See, at his departure, he said, Father, give me. But now he says, make me. One of the saddest things I've seen over the years is almost like a, a, a perversion or an inversion or an aberration of the, the faith message. Pastor, here's my list of what I want in a woman. 
I'm like, man, ah. Wonder Woman doesn't qualify. There's about three things on your list that not even, yeah, that's what I'm believing God for, Pastor. That's what I'm believing God for. In other words, it's saying, God, give me. God, give me, give me, give me. Still single, still single. If they would just flip it, instead of God, give me, God, make me. God, make me somebody who could be a great husband. Make me somebody who could love a woman the way that she deserves to be loved. Make me. It's amazing. Because once you start saying, God, make me something, you're like, oh, hang on, that's out of my league. Oh, I better cross that one off too. And that was, that was I don't know what I was thinking there. That was the malapenos on my pizza. <laughs> I was like, I've been married 30.5 years. 30.5 years. I'm so glad at 17, Leanne didn't have the best judgment. At first, I was so grateful with what God gave me. But then I began to realize that give me didn't cut it. That I needed to shift and I had to start praying prayers. God, make me the kind of husband this gift of yours deserves. Make me somebody that can bring out the gold. Make me somebody that can bring out the confidence. Make me somebody that can bring out the strength. Make me somebody that can love her. The clay in the soil, Marco, says to the clouds, give me water. The clay soil, thirsty, give me water. But imagine if that same clay said to the potter, make me a vessel that can hold water. The difference between give me and make me. Give me. The world that we live in is all about give me, give me, give me, give me. Everything shifts when you say, God, make me. I remember God giving me a vision of the church and seeing thousands of people. I had these people prophesying, God's going to give you a church that's going to influence the nations. God's going to give you a church of, you know, it's a mega church. God's going to give you a church. And I see 10,000 people. God's going to give you. God's going to give you. And if I was honest, it freaked me out. And so I started praying, God, make me. Make me someone you can trust with that. Make me somebody who's a faithful steward of it. God make, God, make me someone who can lead that. Make me somebody who can be obedient even when, God, make me someone who can be faithful in all your house like Moses. Everything shifts when you move from give me to make me. Your marriage, your finances, your purpose, your world. God wants to take you out of a prodigal living, of living just for yourself into purposeful living. Come on, let's stand to our feet. Come on, lift your hands high to heaven. Say these words. Say, Heavenly Father. Come on, out loud. Heavenly Father, I ask you today to come into my heart. Fill me afresh with your precious Holy Spirit. Make me your child. Make me your servant. Make me the person my spouse needs me to be. Make me the parent my child needs me to be. Make me the friend my friends need me to be. Make me an influence in this city for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead, give the Lord a praise. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. 
Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.